Welcome to Food Safety University, episode number 14. And today we have an interview with Jill Stever, another food safety coach. This is a great episode where we're going to dive really deep into the mindset of getting your food safety planning done the right way the first time. Welcome to the Food Safety University podcast presented by Dr. Michelle Fannin-Steele of Deergo Food Safety. Tune in to learn food safety in plain English. We will break down the ins and outs of the food code, HACCP plans, you name it. We make food safety simple, easy, and even fun. Now here is your host, Dr. P. Hi there and welcome to the podcast. I am so excited today. We have an incredible guest and I'm going to let Jill introduce herself. Uh, And this is going to be a great conversation to everybody. So Jill, introduce yourself and let's get right on to it. Awesome. I am so happy to be here, Michelle. I'm Jill, the food safety coach. And I'm a coach because I've been in food safety for over 20 years with most of that being in manufacturing. And as I was in it, what I realized was food safety isn't just about technical competency anymore. It's about taking care of our people. And what I want, what I do is empower people in food safety and quality to really step into their roles and live the best life they can, whether it's at light at work or at home. That is amazing. You know, we're pretty fond of saying you bring your whole self to work Mm -hmm. around here. (laughs) You spend 80% of your waking hours with the people that you work with. So tell me more what you mean about taking care of our people. Well, you know, I think food safety and quality, it's well known that it can just be frenzied work pace. And there's a lot going on and a lot to shuffle. And when you do that, oftentimes that can really wear on people because there's so much responsibility, whether it's brand risk or regulatory risk. Those things, a lot fall onto a food safety and quality manager or leader. So what we need to do and what I work to do is really help support them, whether it's from mindset or routines or looking at their circle of support so that they can really leverage others so that they can really enjoy their job. I want them to love coming to work. You know, it's interesting. I think that there are probably so few food safety and quality people who love coming to work. And I think it's really sad. Yeah. I think it's really sad because, you know, you and I loved our jobs in QA, right? (laughs) Well, that's only parts of it, right? You know, in every job, even, you know, even not jobs, even being at home and being a mom, there's moments I love it, moments I'm like ready to tear my hair out. But, you know, overall, it's the challenge and the passion that keep bringing people back. And that's what brings me back to food safety and quality. And, you know, even today, I got another message from, from someone who said, you know what, I'm feeling stuck. And, mm-hmm. you know, my, my goal is really to help people not feel stuck. You know, they have possibilities and how can I help explore those with them so that they can really move into that space where they are their best self and they're shining and working and, you know, really putting their best self forward. So what are some of the things that you do with them to help them move into that space and get unstuck? Well, I know there's a lot of different definitions around coaching and I know you're a life coach too. So you've probably encountered this, but coaching and, you know, really it's about asking asking questions 
that people don't typically get to answer and consider. And I think it's because we're moving at such a rapid pace that we don't always take time just to pause and to really go, huh, how am I feeling right now? Like really feeling. Sometimes in food safety and quality, maybe it's stuck or it's frustration is what comes to mind, but typically there's something behind that. And so diving into that to really better understand what it is so that when somebody goes to make change, it's going to be meaningful change that will actually help them pass that. Right. So that's the kind of work that we do. Yeah. I find that with most, with most folks, you know, we talk about people have feelings at work Mm -hmm. and what's really interesting is that they're mostly okay talking about their negative feelings, especially when they are applying their negative feelings to the audit that they have to pass or the corrective (laughs) action that they have to write or, you know, any of the, you know, facilities upgrades or the preventative maintenance program. What, do you have anything that you work with to make the or, or, or what's your approach to the idea that it's okay to talk about how we feel at work? Because we already do, right? <laughs> we do. Yeah. So how do you approach that? You know, I, I think that communication and talking and things through is often important. But I also, with that said, believe that having the right conversations are important as well. And so, you know, one of the things that I found that helps clients the most is really just to step back and think about our mindset. If sometimes we get caught in that story about like, oh, it's a tough day or, oh, it's a rough week or, you know, last year, oh, it was an awful year with COVID. And, you know, what I work on with them a lot is like, well, what part of that story is true and what part of that serves you? And even if it is true and it serves you, what is it meant to help you learn? Because I think that when we can round the corner and start looking at things with gratitude to say, wow, I am so glad that I learned X, Y, and Z during the COVID 2020 year, that really puts us into our, you know, we step into our power so that we take away the good things and create that. I'm a big believer in positive vibes around us, Mm -hmm. you know, and I think that's important. Yeah. Yeah. So it sounds like working on mindset, uh, looking at gratitude, uh, Mm -hmm. you know, and then there's, you know, it's sometimes uh, I, when, you know, when I'm working with somebody and we've got like a really thorny corrective action or that is like, (laughs) "Mm, we're knocking on the door of recall here, (laughs) That's tough. (laughs) you know, and how terrible we all feel about that, you know, because I never like it when clients go into recall or they call me in a panic. Oh my God, I'm getting a recall. The FDA is coming knocking on my door. When you're sitting in one of those situations, um, like how do you coach people in those situations? Because I know what I do. And a lot of it is very, I would say consultation more than coaching in like that immediate uh, like reactivity area. But I still think that, that, that there's a ton of room for coaching there. So like when you have somebody where it's really uncomfortable and, and, and things are about to go south. What do you, from the perspective of mindset and gratitude and things like that, what do you talk to them about? Oh gosh. Well, I I've been through recall. So, you know, I think the important thing is, well, there's always different parts, right? You know, I think your mindset's in a different spot when you're, when you've practiced your recall and you're ready for what those steps look like. 
it's much easier to take a moment and pause, right? And go, okay, deep breath in and out, right? I know where my documents are. We know what to do. We're going to be okay. Mm -hmm. You know, and, and even if you don't have those documents in place, I think you can still do the same thing, even though you might be resisting or fighting this urge of like, ah, <laughs> how do I do this? But I often think about when, when we shift into a mode where, you know, under crisis, oftentimes that's more of a fight or flight. And so we kind of go into this autopilot and just do. And so what I really work with clients to do is is have a pause and really step intentionally into that space. So that way they can be fully present with making decisions and thinking through what needs to be done versus just kind of going at a really rapid frenzied pace. But that rapid so, frenzy, frenzy pace for a lot of people feels really useful, like being busy. It does. It does. Being busy is like, oh, I'm really busy. I must be accomplishing a lot. <sighs> right. Well, and that's, I mean, how many times do you ask someone, whether it's in our food industry or out, like, how are you doing? And they'll be like, oh, I'm just so busy. Right. <sighs> it's almost this, you know, badge of honor of that's what we do. And we do have full schedules, right? I'm sure you do too. Yeah. Um, well, you know, I mean, I have a full schedule, but I'm, I, I do not consider, I with everybody who you know wants a meeting and I don't you know it's I'm not busy I just choose to I choose how I spend my time yes yes I think that's that sounds like the key like how do you intentionally put the things in place that you want to do that you must do that fill you up so that way it's not just busy work right, right. you're living with intention versus kind of this default busy busy thing so but we celebrate and reward busy, 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 busyness, uh, you know, always mm -hmm. being, always being businessing, you know, like you're businessing on your Facebook page and you're businessing, mm -hmm. you know, you and I met over LinkedIn, but you know, which is like where you're supposed to be doing the businessing, <laughs> <laughs> right? You know what I mean? And it just, I think that it leads to a level of exhaustion and we have people who leave, who are leaving the industry. You yes. know, I was on a, I was on a, um, a call with, um, the, the beef checkoff folks in the Northeast and, and, um, uh, one of, uh, one of my colleagues, uh, Carrie Underly, she's a, she's a master butcher. She runs range meat Academy. And, um, she was saying that in, in the meat and poultry industry alone, we are down 7,000 workers. Wow. Wow. 7,000 workers. Right. So. Oh. where, where are these QA people going to come from? Oh. You know, and, and that's, that's exactly part of why I do this work because we have a lot of great people that come into food safety and, you know, it's not, it's not the easiest role and it's certainly never, it's usually not glamorous being, you know, in a plant at two in the morning with foreign material. Um, or whatever crawling around on the floor like that's me crawling around on the floor and I've like yep. got my hand in something gooey and I'm like right we're glamorous life of a veterinarian <laughs> <laughs> right we're trying to find those missing pieces um, but that's where I think we really need to support our team and you know how do we have um, you know a shift in how we look at you know our responsibilities our staffing and how do we really support them? And one of the things that I love to do with clients is 
we do standard work checklists because we, I always say, I've never seen a job description that tells me what exactly am I supposed to do and what decisions do I make? You know, it's, there are ways that overarching, like you're responsible for all of our food safety programs. Well, what does that mean? Right. And so even breaking those things down to really understand, you know, what, what does that all entail? And is it even reasonable? So we usually do a standard work and we do a workload capacity analysis. And we look to see like, is this really a job for two or is this a job for one? But then what we try to do is put some parameters around it. So that way, instead of coming into the, you know, into the plant or into your role every day going, I'm not really sure what's going to show up today. You actually come and go, I have a schedule, my checklist, my standard work that I'm gonna to use to guide on what I'm doing today. And yes, we schedule and make capacity for, for all those unknowns, right? The right. poor material, the you know, operational sanitation issues that you have, whatever those things are, the leaky ceiling. Um, right. But that way it gives you a little bit more, I don't wanna say control, because it's not control over, it's not a, um, a power thing, but it's more stepping into being able to manage your day better so that you don't run around just going, I'm so busy. I'm so busy. You can be busy, but intentional. And create results, you know, because how many, how many times do you walk out the door and you're like, what the hell did I just do all day? I know I was busy. Right. Yeah. And it's, especially when you get to that crunch where you're like, okay, let's say it's, I have to get my, my last mock recall in for the year. Well, that's great. But if you're running around firefighting, all these other things before you know it, that window will pass. And so how do we set people up to really be, you know, proactively working in their role so that all those important parts that aren't, aren't always remembered, get remembered. What would you, how much would you say that that has to do with mindset? You know, because if, if you think about it, there's, I've never put it this way. I've never met a QA person that isn't in a massive somewhat abusive relationship with their to-do list. <laughs> <laughs> right. And it's the never ending to-do list, right? Yeah. And, and they are, it is, they, we can have very, very weird relationships with our to-do list and, <laughs> and, and, and have all these feelings about our to-do list that are probably not all that helpful. So when, when you look at a mind, like helpful mindsets, like thoughts that actually help when mm-hmm. it comes to scheduling out your leader standard work and maybe actually doing it, you know, instead of, you know, all the 15,000 things that we can do instead of doing the work we said we would do. So what are the most helpful things that you find that you talk to your clients about? Well, you know, it, I think it depends on kind of what state they're in. So when we look at the workload capacity, um, often what we'll do is we'll even start with something that I call start, stop, continue. It's not something that I made up, but we look at the role and say, what on my list do I need to stop doing? And I once had an example for a quality team where they, every day they would come in and they would have to print these reports for the shipping department. And I was like, that's awesome, but you don't need to do that. Like we need more capacity in this quality team. So let's shift that over to shipping. Um, So we look for things that maybe we need to stop. So it creates space to do and focus on the other things. We also look at, you know, what things do we need to start doing? 
Because I think we always have that never ending list, right? And how do we make sure it gets covered on there? And then of course, what are the things that we need to continue to do? And, but it does take mindset, right? Because it's easy to look at my checklist and go, oh, that's what I'm supposed to do, but this came up. So there's, you know, how, you know, it's really exploring like how, how do you create the mindset so that somebody goes, yes, this is over here, but today I'm going to focus on this, even if it's for maybe the first hour of my day. So that way I can get that done and then I can let this other thing come up. So I think looking at what pulls people, but then also what kind of boundaries need to be made because I, I always chuckle. I think our food safety friends are usually, I call them like the counselors of the plant. There's, there's always a line of people coming in and sharing and talking. And I love that. I think that's a compliment to the function because they're, you know, we're involved in so many areas, but I also think that we need to create some boundaries too, to say it's important yet. I do need to finish this, right? So how about we circle back in an hour? So it's kind of a combination of working on that mindset to know that the things you have are just as valuable and you do need to work on those while creating space for those other parts. I think that's super interesting about what you say about the QA managers and, and being counselors, because <laughs> as I think about that and I think about my clients, that has a very gendered role. Like, oh, interesting, what do you see? There's probably a 50-50 split in my clients about people like women who, who work in QA and, you know, like you and me, and then, and then the men who are in it. And I like, I don't think the men are there as counselors at all. <laughs> I think, I don't think, I don't think that it's there, it's there at all. And I think that there's no expectation of that. And I, you know, like looking at it and looking at kind of like the team building and, and that sort of thing, I feel like a lot of that falls on women in a food safety and quality assurance role in a way that I don't think it would ever fall on men. How interesting. How do you think that plays out then in programs or food safety culture? Well, if I, you know, kind of, kind of thinking about it and, and looking at how women advance or don't in our, um, in our field, I suspect, a lot of what happens is is that the career well first of all the career tracking in food safety is abysmal <laughs> that's but to find a point on it but but I mean like there really really truly is no career tracking and um I think that the the women who take on who, who come who are like promoted from within and take on a quality food safety and quality assurance role who end up being I think it's a trap that women can fall into about being like the den mother you yes. know taking on like a den mother kind of role versus you have you know and of, of course there are you know we're, we're talking about generalities right but then you have if you if I think about the men who then get promoted to plant manager or chief operations officer or whatever, none of them have taken on that, that den mother kind of role. And I think it's really interesting because I, you know, I talk a lot about um, mapping out your culture and who do you want to be? Uh, you know, everybody's like, oh, Dr. P, how do I do this? And I'm like, okay, that's a great question, but you've got to ask, who do you want to be first? Uh, 
-hmm. because if you don't know who you are, I can tell you 15 different ways of how to do a preventive maintenance plan and it won't help because you won't do it. Right. <laughs> Very true. You know what I mean? And so the, when we look at focusing on culture, um, I think that there's some level of handicap if we, if we expect like women to be coaching people when they're not given the authority to make any changes. And do we ask women to coach people and create food safety culture without the authority to do so? Mm -hmm. You know, that's so interesting because, you know, I just had a conversation with someone else about um, different leadership styles. And I said, it's, I find it really interesting because we have such a great focus on how do we help women move up in, into different roles. But I said, one of the things that I wonder about is we have kind of, you know, this kind of this story and this, I'm, I'm, I'm going to say even stereotyping around what leadership looks like, but it's all based a lot on what we've seen men do. Mm -hmm. I said, it's really interesting to see because women have, can have totally different leadership styles. Like you just said, this more nurturing style and coaching style that is really not um, comfortable for a lot of people when we start looking at, you know, how nor do they move it, into the role? Right. Nor is it rewarded in the workplace. Mm -hmm. Right. And it's, it can be, it's very, it can be very effective. Um, and sometimes I would say, I, I'm going to, I'm a little biased. I think it's even more so effective because when we talk about food safety culture, I think it is all about connecting with individuals. And so when I see this type of coaching, counseling, nurturing going on, I see that really extending out to individuals. And we know, right, to, to get the food safety culture we want, we really need to connect with the behaviors and the why behind that. And not our why, not as an organization going, well, it's important because we don't want to send out unsafe food. You know, we, it has to be the other angle of, you know, we need these behaviors because we want your family to have safe food at home. You know, what's important for you to have safe food at home? How would that look? And making the connection about their why, not always pushing our why onto them. Right, and, and, and drawing out why is it that people go to work? I mean, you know, mm -hmm. people have a lot of options. And, and I think this yeah. is, you know, getting back to that 7,000 people who we are, missing in the, and that's just, that's just meat manufacturing. That isn't talking about manufacturing across the board. I mean, every client I work with is looking for people. Every single one is looking for people, right? And mm -hmm. we've, and there's been such a, you know, there's just been, it's, I find it really quite fascinating because we're an industry that can't retain people. Not well. <laughs> and, and I think that if we don't look at this individual coaching and um, development of the whole person, uh, mm -hmm. we're never going to change that. And I, and we've got to change the, we got to change the whole conversation. Uh, we do it. It's like, it needs to be kind of a, a, it needs to be a paradigm shift on how we, how we see food safety fitting uh -huh. with our organization and with our teams. Um, you know, Actually, yesterday, I, once again, I was talking with, with another client, and one of the parts that was really frustrating is, um, you know, their team is smaller, let's say 15 people. But with COVID, when they have half of the team out, right, it's really hard to cover all their stuff. But on the flip side, the, that production facility has like 500 people. Um, 
but they're not able to even draw a pool of people to help do to fill in. And so how do we shift this, our thinking that the quality team isn't worthy or deserving of being able to have some extra support and to be able to fulfill that function and the importance of the function. So I agree, those are the things that make it really frustrating and people exit. So we have this big gap of you know, how many people we have today versus you know, the people that we need. Right, right. And that has that has big like economic implications. I mean, honestly, food is one third of it's one third of the economy, you know, and and so there's just there's there's just so much room in the in the conversation for ways to, to make this different and to get these cultural changes that make people feel valuable at work, like they're doing something and it makes a difference and they're not just a cog in a wheel. So, you know, I, I remember years ago, my, my husband works in food too. And I remember we used to talk a lot about so many organizations were just one, one decision, one away from really making a huge impact and following that path. And I think sometimes we think it's overwhelming, like, oh, for us to go from point A to B is, is you know, the, the mountains, it's the Himalayas in between. And it makes me think about, right, even running a marathon, it's one, one step, one foot in front of another. And so it doesn't always have to be the mountain climb. It can be just the, the few steps to get us further in that direction. Right. No, I totally agree. I totally agree. All right. Well, that was completely amazing. If people are more interested in hearing about um, what you do or following you or want to get in touch, give us all the details. Oh, great. Well, um, you can certainly find me on LinkedIn or on Facebook, but, and I also have a website. It's uh, the www.thefoodsafetycoach.com. Uh, and I'm always interested to hear people's stories and hear what they're looking for and, and just have conversation. So you know, feel free to reach out. I love it. Excellent. Well, thank you so much. This has been a really interesting conversation. Thanks so much for coming on the podcast. Thanks, Michelle. I had a great time. All right. Great. Talk to you later. Bye-bye. Thanks for listening. Before you go, hit the subscribe button and check us out at foodsafetyuniversity.com. We have free food safety guides waiting for you. See you next time.